Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, October 23rd, 2019. I'm Shannon, and I am here with Stacy and Natalia. It's been kind of a long time since it was just the three of us on recording. We used to have um, <laughs> quite a few of these. Um, not that that's like a good or bad thing, but here we are. It's like, just welcome like back to the, the old times. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the beginning We're back of in the, the days. Olden days. <laughs> yes, and we are here because it's fall. The weather is getting chilly for Stacy and I, not so much for Natalia, not at all. but it's a <laughs> great season to talk about dun, dun, dun. books. Yay! <laughs> so <laughs> I, I started planning this episode and I thought, okay, great. There's a lot of books that are creepy. Like this will be fine. And yet this was a horrifying episode <gasps> to plan for. I read Pun intended. <laughs> yes. I read a bunch of stuff. Some of it wasn't creepy. Some of it I hated, even if it was creepy. Uh, and then I, I just, like, I couldn't pick my books. It was terrible. I, I finally managed it. And I think Stacy had a, a similar experience. I did. I have just read books that disturbed me for a long time so it was hard picking <laughs> the ones that disturbed me the most <laughs> okay I'm not so sure what to say. <laughs> some of these books will be creepy in the sense of like they're you know supernaturally creepy some will be creepy because they're like uh suspense novels um as natalia said like things that people could actually do in real life to be creepy so we kind of run the gamut here with creepy books um I'm going to have Stacy start us off, followed by me and then Natalia, but I have the housekeeping information first. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. Once you're there on Facebook, you can join our listener group so you can chat with us as well as other listeners of the podcast. You can always send us a um, personal message on Facebook, a direct message on Twitter, if you want to just send us an email, that is fantastic as well. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for us on the web, you can find us at https colon slash slash anchor.fm slash book hyphen bistro. Okay. Are we ready to be creeped out? I think so. All right. And then you can tell us about your first beautiful book of I don't know if it's beautiful, if it's creepy, but it's not beautiful, but it sure is creepy. I read this book for the first time in 2013. So to prepare for the episode, I read it again and it was oh. just as creepy the second time or no 2014. I read it, but it was just as creepy the second time around as it was when I read it uh, trying five to decide years ago. I want to read this. It is fabulous. So the book is Nosferatu by Joe Hill and I just, I don't even have words for how much I love this book. So basically it's about a 
woman. Her name's Victoria McQueen, and she's had a talent since childhood of being able to find things that are lost, like a bracelet or a picture or a cat or just various sundry items that are lost. She can find them. She gets on her bicycle and she starts pedaling hell for leather and ends up going across this rickety old wooden bridge. And on the other side of the wooden bridge, she ends up in wherever the, the place is where the item was lost. And, you know, as a child, this is kind of cool for her, but the older she gets, the more she's kind of like wigged out by it. She's like, I don't really think this is happening. I think I'm, you know, hallucinating. It could be all the ecstasy I take now. Like, I don't know. And so she tried to block out that time in her life until she and her mother get in this ginormous fight when she is 17. Now I need to sort of back up my story and tell you about a very creepy man by the name of Charlie Manx. And he drives um, a vintage 1938 Rolls Royce with a vanity plate that says N-O-S, the number four, the letter A, and the the number two, Nosferatu, which I believe, uh, and I'm not saying it correctly, I think is sort of German for like vampire. Um, And he drives through the world, through the United States, and picks up children and takes them to this place called Christmas Land that is in his mind, where it is Christmas every day and children are always mind? happy. Well, his mind creates the roadways to get to Christmas Land. Ah, okay. Just as Victoria McQueen is able to create her bridge that gets her oh, to okay. lost things. Okay. So Vic McQueen has this huge fight with her mother and goes over her bridge and ends up at what is called the sleigh house, which is sort of on the threshold between reality and, you know, the boundary of Christmas land. And she is trapped in this house. She's the only child to ever return from being abducted by Charlie Manx. And she sees some truly terrifying things whilst at the sleigh house. And oh my God. It, yes. And it, you know, as an adult, it really does sort of, um, impact her ability to adult appropriately and she'll get phone calls from christmas land periodically from children on every conceivable type of phone including play phones that aren't even plugged in so anyway she sort of um, uses her grip on reality right and so then as an adult um someone that she loves very dearly is taken to christmas land and victoria mcqueen and her uh she has to try her best to remember how to get across her wooden bridge to rescue the person that she loves. And I'm not even like, that's sort of like the dry synopsis. It doesn't have, I can't even tell you how creepy this book was. Like the children with like the double rows of like hooked teeth that go all the way down their throats. They play games Ooh. like, um, Oh, I think like the smallest and something with scissors and like, they're very creepy children. And Christmas music plays constantly whenever he's in his car. It, Makes me not want to hear Bing Crosby White Christmas ever again. So, you know, anyway, this is like an epic good versus evil type of book. And, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a book with a very, very flawed heroine that you root for all the way through. And um, it was just an incredible book to read. And it's one that I will actually reread again at some point because I loved it that much. Um, so if you like to be creeped out in a really like by, you know, very freaky children and the thought of like Christmas music playing while people are dying. Um, feel free to check out Nosferatu by Joe Hill. 
wow. I want to read this. Actually. It's really good. And wow. if you're going to read it as an audio book, um, I highly recommend on Audible, it's read by Kate Mulgrew. And oh. she is the most kick-ass reader. I just love her. And she really brings this entire story to life. She, her, her inflection really paints some very creepy and vivid pictures. So Doesn't you know, she read Cujo in like the new Audible version? I don't know. I, don't I can't know. read Cujo, but I'll have to look now because I love her. I want to read more of what she does because she's very talented. She's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Okay. So my first pick is kind of different from the Joe Hill book. Um, no more Christmas land. <laughs> no, no. Thank God. Um, <laughs> Christmas land does not seem like a stellar place to go. No. Although I, I may have to uh, take a little detour and, and visit there, see what it's like. <laughs> anyway, my first book is the first book I've ever read by Jennifer McMahon. And this is The Night Sister. And I'd heard a lot of really great things about McMahon's writing. And we all know, like, I'm not a huge ghost person. And a lot of her books are kind of ghosty. And I was just like, no, I'm not going to do this. But then when I was trying to pick books for this episode, I came across The Night Sister. And I was like, okay, this looks super, super intense. So it starts out in this rundown motel where Amy lives with her husband and her two children. No, the shining. (laughs) And something (laughs) happens and you don't quite know what it is, but it, it ends with Amy's husband and her son dead and her daughter hiding out on the roof of the motel covered in blood and then amy herself dies oh wow yeah so this sets the whole town kind of into a a frenzy and no one knows what happened the belief is that amy killed her husband and her children or tried to kill her daughter but couldn't and then killed herself but two of amy's childhood friends piper and Margot do not think that that's what happened. They, they have some pretty grave doubts that this is what happened, but they can't really tell anyone why because that would require them to share a secret from when they were young girls, a secret that they promised Amy that they would never divulge. So we spend a lot of time with Piper as kind of our one of our main Um, narrators of events. And so we move through time in kind of a a non-linear way. Sometimes it's the present. Sometimes sometimes we go back to 1990s. And then we also move into like 1943. And we see Amy's mother, who is named Rose. And Rose lives in this hotel with her parents and her older sister, Sylvie. And Sylvie is obsessed with Alfred Hitchcock, and she writes him letters all the time, and she really wants to go to Hollywood and star in one of his movies. So when Sylvie is 18, she disappears, and everyone assumes that she ran away to Hollywood. But that's 
possibly not what happened. And I'm not going to tell you what happened, um, but this was, was just utterly horrifying to me for a reason that I, I can't even explain without spoiling things, but there is just this sense of impending like doom and terror that builds throughout this book as you're reading both timelines. So as you're seeing things slowly start to go wrong for Rose and Sylvie, and you're seeing Piper and Amy and Margot make some pretty creepy discoveries, and then you see them in the present. You see Piper and Margot trying to figure out what happened to Amy, and you just you have no idea what's coming next. And some of it is kind of steeped in like um, kind of a cross, I guess, between like an old fairy tale and a myth. Um, but it's wow. it's just so very intense and. I finished it in the middle of the night and then I had to get out of my nice warm safe bed to feed a sick cat. And I was really afraid to be like roaming around my house um, oh, with like, you know, my partner like was that. still sleeping. Like the dog was sleeping. I was just like awake with the cats and I'm like, yeah, the, the cats, the cats are no match for like the things in this book. I, I <laughs> might be doomed. <laughs> So this wow. was The Night Sister by Jennifer McMahon. I loved it so incredibly much. Um, honestly, I loved it more than I was expecting to. And I definitely want to read some more of her stuff, um, namely another book of hers called The Winter People. It looks yes. super great to me. That looks so, so good. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. So my idea of creepy are things that can actually happen to people. I don't know why. I, I have read much disturbing urban fantasy and paranormal, and I've read a lot of the things that my fellow ladies are going to talk about. But for some reason, because I know it's fiction, no matter how horrifying, because I know it's not actually possible, I kind of managed to maintain that line in my hmm. brain that says, well, this can't actually happen. So I don't need to be said, afraid. I know, right. But the books that really disturb me are the books that people write about things that can actually happen. And the first book I'm going to talk about, I read it while I was living in Boston. And when I was living in Boston, I was living by myself. So I walked everywhere. I didn't, you know, obviously didn't <laughs> drive. Uh -huh. And this book is called Still Missing by Chevy Stevens. Oh, my and God. <laughs> not only is it one of my favorite books of all time, but it disturbed me on so many levels that I still remember it cover to cover right now. And this book is about Annie O'Sullivan. She's a typical 32-year-old woman. She's a realtor. She has a boyfriend. Her relationship, she loves her boyfriend. You know, they're not, they're happy where they are. She's going to meet him for dinner on the day where the book begins. She had an argument with her mother, which is nothing new. And she has to do an open house because, as I said, she's a realtor. So she's doing an open house and it's going really slowly. Nobody's really coming. It's kind of not happening for her. And then somebody finally pulls up wanting to see the house on a van. And she gets really excited because she's, well, maybe this wasn't a complete dud. Except the person that pulls up in the van kidnaps her and takes <laughs> her to a remote cabin for an entire year. And this story is basically about her having sessions with a therapist and telling 
the therapist what happened to her while trying to put her life to get back together. It's it's kind of a dual timeline in the sense it's going back and forth, back and forth. But I wouldn't say, you know, back, we're only getting a perspective of Annie. And, oh, my God, this book just horrified me. <laughs> it's so horrifying. And I wish I could tell you why, but then I would have to spoil it. But I have to say that when I finished Still Missing by Chevy Stevens, I was, I was never the same person that I was before. I'll, I'll never be the same. I just won't. It's incredible. It's scary. And, man, when I was walking around Mass Ave in Boylston, I think I, I – had my hands on my keys for a while and every time somebody, and every time somebody approached me from behind I freaked out yeah Chevy Stevens is so amazing she has written um some really really complex and and scary things I love her a lot she really has. I think what really got me about this book was that she was kidnapped in broad daylight yes in the middle yes. of a busy street um, you know, the sun was out. I mean, man, I, I'm telling you, I, whenever I would walk around by myself, <laughs> if somebody yeah. tapped me, like, to talk to me, it would freak me out. Oh, man. Yeah. It's just awesome. So I would suggest you pick it up. It's called Still Missing by Chevy Stevens. And, yeah, human beings really do terrible things to each other. Yes, they do. So even though there's a line between what can really happen and what is fiction, um, I've always been someone who is both attracted to and repelled by a really good ghost story. I love it while I'm reading it. And then my imagination just can't let go. And that is how I felt after reading the family plot by Sherry priest. And this book was pretty kick-ass. It, took place in Georgia and basically it's about um, it's about a, a salvage company that's basically on its last gasp. It's a family company and they're basically like one shoestring away from having to close. And um, this very classy looking elderly woman walks in and offers them um, the ability to go in and salvage whatever they want from her estate that's going to be demolished in two weeks. And she names a price that is almost too good to be true. And she shows these beautiful pictures of all these different elements, like this certain type of chestnut wood that cannot be found today um, or very rarely um, these amazing old copper roofs and like furniture and beautiful intact stained glass windows. And the owner of the company was like, well, shit, this sounds like, you know, what we need. So he sends his daughter and a small work crew to this, this estate. And they decide what they're going to do because they really are kind of on a very strict budget as they're going to camp out at this estate, um, you know, at night. Yeah, exactly. And so basically this book was fantastic because the build was very, it was a very slow building um, atmospheric, really interesting book with characters that were fairly well fleshed out too. So um, Dahlia is the daughter and she's there to um, salvage what she can. 
and she's the boss and it is her goal to basically ensure that they get every penny they can out of this house because she wants to save her father's company. And so even when some kind of strange things begin to happen, they see some, you know, figures that are dressed in like World War One, like a soldier's uniform and, and a woman in a yellow dress, you know, she's like, well, we're going to stay. It's fine. And they don't really talk about it because she's so focused on getting to all the goods in this house. And then the, the, Fear begins to escalate when they start showering at the house. And let me tell you, I mean, ever since I saw Psycho way back in the day, like the shower is already kind of a frightening place from time to time. But then um, in this haunted house, um, the main uh, terrifying ghost uses the shower as a means to communicate and to terrify. Um, And let me tell you, it worked very well for me. So everything's escalating. A graveyard is like, you know, excavated and all these things keep happening. But the goal is we are staying here until the job gets done. And that's all I'm going to tell you about this book because you need to read it. And I don't want to give anything about it away. But um, it's just it's interesting because I really like all the architectural stuff that she talks about and all the salvage things. Um, So it's kind of like HGTV. crossed with like, um, what ghost hunter? I don't even know. Like, I don't know what those are called, but I mean, it's, it's a really well done book and it reminds me of like a classic, like Japanese horror, um, novel, uh, the way that it ends. Like, it's just, it's a really well done story. So, um, again, it's called, yes, it's called the family plot by Sherry priest. Um, and if you read it, a keep your lights on and B don't plan to shower uh, in the middle of it like I did because you'll feel the ghostly hand of a child taking yours while you are bathing. So please, oh, no. read with the lights <laughs> on, my friends. It was really well done. So my next book also kind of falls into the category of read with the lights on. Also, <laughs> don't read outside. You know, be be very safe and warm when you read this book. So this is Hunger by Alma Katsu. And I've heard of this. It got a lot of buzz when it came out last year. And I kind of looked at it and I was like, no, no, I can't read this. But this episode sort of inspired me. And so last this past Sunday, I hung out with the with Hunger. And it's, it's horrifying. So it's the story of the Donner Party in 1846 and how they leave Independence, Missouri and head west in a wagon train to California. And they're taking the Oregon Trail. And so we all know that this ended very badly for them and that more than half of them did not survive. But Alma Katsu has added a supernatural element to the story. And so the things that we just sort of attribute in, you know, the kind of mundane telling of the Donner story as like really bad luck and poor choices and just not being as prepared as as you might want to be when you are traveling west in a wagon train. Katsu attributes to some Native American mythology, Um, And just some really, really terrifying um, supernatural forces. So, you know, the thing that disturbs us all about the Donner Party is that 
they cannibalized in order to survive. And I know that when I told Stacy I was reading this, she said she wasn't sure she could deal because of the cannibalism. And I wasn't sure either. Um, Fortunately, you know, you don't, like, it isn't described. You don't see people eating people. But you know, you know that it happened. We follow a cast of characters, um, you know, different people in the wagon train and kind of how they're affected by all these things. Um, It's kind of a tangle of relationships. Like everybody seems to be hiding something, um, either something from their past or something that they're doing now that perhaps they shouldn't be doing. Um, maybe things that they know about these supernatural things that are stalking them. But this was really, really intense. Um, she did a great job creating the atmosphere of like actually being alone in the wilderness, like stranded in the um, Sierra Nevada mountain range, like because of a blizzard and they were stuck there for months and months and months. And just everything starts to unravel. And you know, in a lot of ways, like if you're familiar with the story, how this ends, but you don't know, like how these characters that we're reading about now, like, do they make it through? Like what, what actually happened? So this is a really intense book. It's kind of, I don't know, like at first it reads like historical fiction, like you're just reading about people traveling West and it's kind of cool and mellow. And then it just takes like a hard right turn and you have no idea what's coming next. And I'm surprised, honestly, at how much I I enjoyed it, even though um, it it scared me a lot. So this is Hunger by Elma Katsu. And if you are interested in cannibalism, you might want to check it out. Did you just say that if you're into cannibalism, you should check it out? (laughs) Yes. I just, I feel like, wow, okay. <laughs> I said if you're interested in cannibalism, not if you're into it like you want to do it. I don't know if I can read that, Shannon. I read that Into the Tall Grass by Joe Hill this weekend, and it oh. creeped me out so bad, and that was not even like a whole book. I don't know if I could do it. Yeah, Exquisite Corpse was really creepy. Maybe with all the lights Cannibalism on. to last me a lifetime. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. Kristen Potter reads the the audio. Oh, and she yeah. just does amazing. such a great job. She's amazing. I love her. She is. I do too. She could read the phone book. So the next book I'm going to talk about is another book that stuck with me. It was very intense, and the title definitely tells us this because it's called Intensity by oh, Dean Koontz. And man, just by reading the synopsis, you know, China Shepherd, that name just makes it sound like it has to be horror, at least for me. I don't know why. It just does. So China Shepherd is staying at her friend Laura's house, and it's after midnight, and she's in one of the guest rooms, and she cannot sleep. And it turns out that she's right, and her instincts are good, and it was good that she stayed awake because a homicidal killer comes into the home. And he's intent on killing every person that lives there. But he doesn't know about China. And so China's goal is to stay alive and to survive and make sure that he doesn't see her and he doesn't figure out that she's there. Except he fi- she finds out that he wants to kill someone else, someone that she knows. And she wants to 
save this person from him. And so, oh my God, this book is just so creepy from beginning to end because oh. she basically decides to follow him. Uh, you know, that's not so much of a spoiler because I mean, how else is she going to save the person she wants to save? And just watching her following him without him, ma- making sure that he doesn't see her and being such close proximity to him, the, the entire book just had me on the edge of my seat. It was so, so incredible. This is Intensity by Dean Koontz. That book was, was terrifying. My, this was my first Dean Koontz book. Um, it was my first Dean Koontz book, too. And it scared me. Oh. Most of his books don't scare me. Like, they're just good fun, like, you know, but <laughs> Intensity really scared me and The Taking really scared me. Those were the two that uh, I still remember her describing or you know dean Kuntz like the, the you know china's in the motor home and the, the motor and the killers home. you know driving and i'll never forget like it's uh the description was like his hands were like white spiders on the wheel of the oh my god I I just, so oh my god like the whole and just i mean it starts off scary it's not like it's a slow build you know no like, no so the next book i'm going to talk about is actually the first book in a series and um you know i read I read this series. Um, I binge read it while I was on vacation this summer. Um, oh. I read I read five books in like six days, and um, I really loved these books. And imagine my shock when, at the end of the fifth book, where I assumed the series ended, we are left on a cliffhanger. Uh. And imagine my horror until I realized that the sixth book, after I think um, the fifth book came out in twenty fourteen. And the sixth book just came out yesterday. And I read that one in a day too. What am I talking about? I am talking about the Trad Street series by Karen White. And yeah, it's a really good series. And I don't know necessarily it's parts. um, It's very atmospheric. There's some sort of Gothic. um, So basically this book, uh, the series starts with the house on Trad Street. And um, it, the, the heroine is named Melanie Middleton. And she's just as sort of stuffy and uptight as that name would imply. And this book takes place in Charleston, um, or the series does. And um, yeah, Charleston, right? I just finished the last book today. I think think Charleston. Yeah. And anyway, so this book, so she is a realtor and she goes to this big old house. And right away, she's already like, she hates old houses. She thinks they're big, you know, money sucks and she just wants to sell things that are modern and new and clean and sleek. And what Melanie tells no one is that she can see ghosts and she does everything in her power to make sure that that remains a secret. And as she's walking into this old house, she sees um, a swing moving in the garden pushed by no one. And she goes inside and there's this old man inside and he's talking to her about how, you know, how much he loves his house and how, you know, it's like a piece of history you can hold in your hand and, you know, just talking about all these things about his house and, and they have a conversation. And during this conversation, he figures out that Melanie can see the ghost of his mother who was the one pushing the swing in the yard. Well, imagine her shock when like the next day, this lovely old man has died and he has left her his house. Whoa. And she's like, what the hell? But there are some, and she's thinking, well, I'll just sell it. But there were some conditions. And one of them was that she had to live in the house for a year. 
And so she very reluctantly moves into this house from her very all white, very sterile apartment. And right away, very paranormal things begin to happen. She sees all these ghosts. Some are kind and some are most decidedly malevolent. And then there's a mystery that has to be solved with this house. And she meets writer Jack Trenum, who is really cute. And they sort of have this very tumultuous sort of courtship um, that begins in this book. And together they have to outwit this very malevolent ghost to solve the mystery of what, um, what this older gentleman who just died wanted her to find out about the house. And so each of these books either focuses on an era in history in her Trad Street house or in different houses that are old around Charleston where she has been brought in to help solve these mysteries or she's selling the house. And it's just a really great series. And what I like about it is um, there's a lot of character development. Um, she's not the perfect heroine. She uh, makes some pretty annoying mistakes and assumptions about people. She has a lot of um, family baggage that she works through. Um, and, and she and Jack have a very complicated kind of sexy relationship as well. And the ghosts, um, some of them actually are very frightening. There's a, a haunted dollhouse that I can't think about now. Oh my God. Um, it could go not to Christmas land. I, it could go to Christmas land indeed. And so, you know, I would say these books are a little bit more creepy and atmospheric than, you know, full on terrifying, but um, they were a great read and I, I cannot highly enough recommend the Trad Street series by Karen White. Um, and the, the most recent, the Christmas spirits on Trad Street came out yesterday and I finished it this morning and loved it. So I'm hoping it's not five years before the next installment because the sixth book is not the last book. Ooh, I like Karen White a lot. I know I do too. And she really, um, her settings kind of come to life. Her Southern cities that she writes about almost become like characters in the books. And yes. she just has a way of bringing, just painting really vivid word pictures where you're like, I don't know, you just feel very drawn into the, the settings that she's writing about. I love her. So my next book, I was kind of torn between the two that I have left, trying to figure out which one I wanted to talk about first. But your comment about Melanie not being a perfect heroine kind of served as a really nice segue for me. Yay! And made my decision. <laughs> so thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so I am about to talk about The Diviners by Libba Bray. And this is the first book in her Diviners series. And for the sake of transparency, because... I like to be transparent. Um, I loved the first book. The second book, I've had a really hard time getting through. Um, but I have to because I want to read the rest. So, but the first book is, is so fantastic. So this is where we're going to start. So The Diviners takes place in New York City during the 1920s. And the person that you will kind of expect to be the main character, and she kind of is in the first book, although I understand that that changes as the series goes on, um, is a young girl named Evie. And Evie lives in a small town in Ohio where she has scandalized her friends and neighbors for the last time. Um, and her parents <laughs> are, are just tired of dealing with all of her shenanigans and they say, you are going to New York City and you're going to live with your uncle, who is sort of like a paranormal investigator. And Ooh. he really believes that 
the paranormal is is real and that our world intersects with the paranormal world in more ways than we know. So Evie goes to New York and she is kind of happy about this. She did not enjoy small town life um, and she's excited to now be going to the big city and she has all these kind of wild fantasies about, you know, what she's going to do. She's going to like take New York City by storm. But when she gets to New York and she moves in with her uncle, she realizes that things are not going to be quite as fabulous as she thought. And she meets a group of people, each of whom has a secret. And what we learn about Evie is that she is a person known as a diviner. And she can see memories and pick up emotions from the objects that she touches. Now, her uncle kind of wants her to keep this secret. Um, he's concerned about how this will be received. But that's not how things happen. Um, Evie gets pulled into this murder investigation that has some paranormal links and she meets this group of characters that I mentioned before, each of whom has a secret. Some of them are gifts, some of them are not. But these people become kind of the other, um, the other lenses through which we see the story. And the thing that scared me about this is this, this ghost who is called Naughty John. Ooh, no. <laughs> and there's this terrible Creepy. song that Naughty John sings as he kills people. Oh! And it, it's just, it, it, it's How's no it go? good. Uh, Can you sing it for us? No, I cannot. Why not? Well, because, oh I read, because I read this like five years ago and I don't remember how it goes. Oh. But I just remember that it, it was terrifying, especially if you figure that like while, it's kind of a jaunty like, Naughty John, Naughty John, and he, like, he sings this as he, as he kills people. Yeah, it, it's just no, it's no good. Wow. Um, but Evie forms a, a friendship with these other young people who have gifts and secrets, and together they are able to kind of solve this mystery. And I'm not obviously going to tell you how. But this is fantastic. It is so, so well done. The 1920s like spring off the page. And it's full of all the things that we love about the 1920s. Like, you know, the, the speakeasies and just like the beginnings of like, you know, women becoming flappers and really like stepping out into the world in ways that they, they hadn't until the 1920s. Um, with the, you know, the short hair and the kind of outlandish um, modes of, of dress. And all these things Bray brings to life in such wow. a phenomenal way. Um, Evie is a difficult heroine. Um, she's not always great. In fact, a lot of the time that I read this, I disliked her pretty intensely. But she does grow and change. Um, some of her changes are not for the better, but that's kind of how things go sometimes. So this is just a, a lush, huge novel um, that I, like I said, I read it like five years ago. It came out in 2013. 
Um, and the fourth book in the series is due out next year. And oh, it's just, yes, it's just so, so fantastic. January Lavoy does a phenomenal job Me too. narrating this series. Um, and it's so, it's just so incredible. So if you haven't read it, or if you maybe have, but you want to dive in again, this is The Diviners, and it's The Diviners Book One by Lupa Bray. Awesome. I'm just thinking about this now. Why are we recording this episode on a day that my husband is not here and I'm going to sleep by myself? I don't know. I know. I'm so freaked out right now. I I feel so blindsided by all this creepiness. Yeah, I bet you do blindsided. I, yeah, <laughs> that was clever. The next book I'm going to talk about. Yes. Blindsided by Karen Slaughter. I think everything Can Karen I Slaughter. Can I say that it's very ironic to me that her, you know, last name that she gave herself, because I assume this is a pseudonym, is right. Slaughter. It can't be her. It can't and be heard last thing. The books that she writes are so like graphic and violent and slaughtery. <laughs> and disturbing. Yes. They're all okay. disturbing. Yes. Every single yes, they one. Are. Every yes. single one is disturbing. Mm-hmm. And I but this was probably the first one I read by her. I think this is her debut. Really, it might be her debut. I think it was published in 2001, but I, yes. I definitely didn't read it in 2001. I was, you know, seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no good. Definitely not something I wanted to be reading, even though it gave me nightmares when I read it as an adult. So imagine. So this book is about a college professor that's found mutilated in a local diner. And what was so disturbing about it. In a public bathroom. Right, in a public bathroom. And, well, what th- that's how it starts becoming disturbing for me because yes. diners, if if we've if you've been to a diner, you know that diners are always packed and they're always delicious. So how did nobody notice that she was? How did a person manage to sneak by and kill somebody? That was all. That was disturbing. And also, the college professor is blind, which I guess that's why she called it blindsided. Huh? Yes, she was blindsided. All right. Uh, definitely she didn't she definitely didn't see it coming no no (laughs) so this book is about lena and the person that is killed the college professor that is killed is her sister and now lena is a cop but she wants to take vigilante justice and the chief of police is kind of investigating this this crime and also trying to keep lena from flying off the handle now here's another really creepy thing the person who figured out that this was not just your typical murder was Sarah, who happens to be the police chief's ugh, the police chief's ex-wife, but she's the town pediatrician and coroner. <laughs> that really got me because I don't know how, how do you. I've never heard such a thing. You, it's like doctor of children by night, doc the doctor of children by day, doctor of dead by night. It was yes, it was too much for my brain to handle. So, you know, the police chief is Sarah's ex-husband. So, of course, there's some tension there. And then yeah. not only that, but three days later, we've got the female Jesus. I know, it's such blasphemy. The reason I say that is because they, uh, this killer crucified, literally crucified a woman and left her in public view. So I, I just feel 
like, I, well, I couldn't sleep when I read this book. It, it didn't let me, I didn't sleep for a long time. And I definitely didn't want to go to the bathroom in a diner. I remember no. being in a diner. I was in a diner in Boston and I had to go to the bathroom so bad. And I left and went to my dorm. <laughs> I was, was kind of worried about public bathrooms just in general, not only in a diner. But just sort of in general, like after I read this, I was like, yeah, no, it's just not safe. You can't go to the bathroom. Right. I, I was, I definitely avoided them for a while and I, I wanted to not have to use the bathroom in public, which is sometimes impossible to avoid. But if I could find, you know, one of those all genders bathrooms, that's where I went. You know, not that you can't get killed in there, but it just made me feel better. <laughs> no one else was in there. Right. No, no. So this is Blindsided by Karen Slaughter is Grant County book one. Now this is the, if you've read the Will Trent series, this is the series that precedes it. Since I like reading everything in order, I started with Blindsided. And actually thinking about it now, I think I'm going to reread it. Because even though it disturbed me and it scared me, now that I've read a lot more Karen Slaughter books, if, you know, transparency, I didn't appreciate it enough. But I think that if I read it now, I'm going to like it a whole lot more. I also think the narrator had a lot to do with it. I hate me. Lena with a deep and abiding passion. And the whole time I read one of these books, I just chant to myself whenever Lena like appears. I'm just like, read and hate, read and hate, <laughs> read and hate. <laughs> so I All really right. struggled with what to do. Um, because usually I would have talked about The Haunting of Maddie Claire by Simone St. James, which to me is the most terrifying book I've ever read. But I already have talked about that book. I talk about The Shining or something else by Stephen King. But I've just talked about Stephen King. I would have talked about something by Dean Koontz. But Natalia called that author. So I had to decide what to do. But I'm actually really glad all of these things happened because of all these factors I discovered an author who is going to be one where I'm going to read her entire body of work. Yay. So this book that I found um, completely by accident is called The Good House by Tanana Reeve Du. And this book, in full transparency, I haven't finished it yet um, because on audio it's almost 22 hours. Um, but it is probably one of the most amazing books. I love it. It's um, the writing is just exquisite. So this book is about Angela Toussaint and she um, is just now returning to um, her grandmother's empty mansion in this little town of Sacagawea, Washington. Um, after two years away, her, her teenage son died in the mansion and Ooh. she has not returned since then, but now it's been two years. And there are um, many many things that are going on in this mansion um, that are sort of mystical in nature, supernatural evil. And as she's trying to figure out what happened to her family, there's been a curse upon her family. She discovers for generations. And as she's trying to unravel these happenings, she'll figure out, um, you know, more about her family and more about herself and more about the powers that she has inherited from her grandmother. Now, her grandmother, to me, seems like she's going to be the most fascinating character in the book because guess what, friends? This is some dual timeline going on. Um, Yay. Yes. So it goes back to the late 20s, the 1920s. Um, and now I have to say, 
what makes this uh, book even more interesting. So um, the, uh, the characters in this book are African-American and well, not all of them, but the, the heroine and her grandmother are. And, you know, uh, in the 1920s, she was a very wealthy woman living in basically an all white town in upstate Washington. Um, and so that adds an additional sort of dynamic to the story. And also, um, you know, so there was some suspicion of her um, by the townspeople. Um, but what I find fascinating about this is the first time we meet Marie Toussaint, who is the grandmother, um, a, a child has been brought to her door who is clearly uh, possessed by a demon. And she knows this because of all the voodoo that she has learned from when she grew up in Louisiana. So this book is just probably the best thing that I unintentionally stumbled upon that I've ever read. Um, the narrator, Robin Miles is amazing. The story oh, she's so is, good. Oh my God. I did not, I've never read anything that she's read. She can and, read anything. Yes. Oh, well, let me tell you this. There's going to be some romance in this book. There's going to be terror. Um, you know, a character has already died. Um, the house is slowly, revealing some rot. Um, and I think it's Ooh. just going to be the most amazing book I've ever read um, in this genre. It's just, it's just beautifully done. So if you want something, and, and usually I wouldn't talk about a book that I hadn't finished yet, but the writing is that good. So um, I would encourage you if you haven't yet to pick up The Good House by Tanana Reeve Du. And um, I'd love to, you know, I'm, I'm excited to finish it and see how it's, how the story is going to end. I'm excited to read it. It's yeah, awesome. I'm going to read this too now. And just, um, I, I'm so sorry. I don't believe I butchered the author's name, but it's spelled T-A-N-A-N-A-R-I-V-E. That's her first name, Tanana Reeve. And then her last name is Dew, D-U-E. So if you're looking for her, um, it might be easier just to search the good house. <laughs> that might be easier. Yeah, I need to. I need to pick this up. It's fantastic. So I'm going to jump on this bandwagon of unfinished books for my last pick. because Yay! I love it. I have it. one too. <laughs> so this is The Ghost Orchid by Carol Goodman. And I, I really love some of the things that Carol Goodman has written. Um, the Lake of Dead Languages is one of like, my all-time favorite books so I was kind of excited when I realized sort of belatedly that I could use a Carol Goodman book for this episode. I'm not sure why that didn't occur to me, but here we are. So this is another dual timeline novel. We really um, enjoy those here. Yes, so we do. this um, is set in the present day in a like artist colony in upstate New York. And it's a colony of writers at this point. Sometimes there are like painters, um, but right now most of the people that are there are a group of writers. Um, our main character is a woman named Ellis and she is really excited to be spending time at this artist colony because the subject of her novel is actually like the history of the colony. Apparently, the artist colony used to be uh, someone's family home, but something very, very, very terrible happened there a hundred years ago. And ever since then, 
the owner of the house kind of like made it her legacy. She was hoping to kind of like reclaim the house and make it like a happy, peaceful place again. And so she wanted it to be this, this artist colony and it, it has. But Ellis wants to uncover the truth of what really happened a hundred years ago. And who do the bones at the bottom of the well belong Ooh. to? Um, you know, there are, there are several candidates, but, but whose bones are they really? Is this the and well then, we currently drink from? This is very important. I have to know this right now before you continue. Um, no, it's like a well that feeds water to this very elaborate system of fountains that <sighs> is in this garden. Um, so you have bone pulp in your fountains, basically, is what you're telling me. You do, me. except you don't know that. Like, <laughs> I, well, now yes, I do. <laughs> now you do. But the people who live there and who have lived there for 100 years, um, you know, and lived and, and worked there, they, they don't seem to know this. <laughs> I'm never taking a picture next to a fountain no, again. I no, no more fountains. <laughs> That's it. I'm, so I'm done. We, I, wonder, we I wondered where all the coins we throw land. Yeah, and with the bones. So we then go back in time. And so the story moves back and forth from present day to the time 100 years ago when a very, very terrible thing happened. And we meet a cast of characters that are, you know, in some ways responsible for this thing that happened. Um, the owner of the house is a woman who has lost three children. Um, they, they supposedly died of diphtheria, but there are some questions about whether or not that really happened. Plus, when she brings in a medium to try to contact her dead children, um, someone is mysteriously murdered and her only surviving child disappears. Ooh. Yes. Wow. So this is like it's not the kind of like fast paced, creepy, like horrifying book that some of the other ones have been that we've discussed tonight. It's more this the very slow unfolding of events. And as you're you're watching these things happen, both in the past and the present, you know that this can't turn out well for anybody. Like not for the people in the past, like you know that it didn't, but you also know in the present that these people are not, um, they're just probably not going to be okay. Um, and so I, I can't, I can't say much more than that because I'm only about three quarters of the way through. So I don't know what happens, um, but I'm really eager to find out. And Carol Goodman has such an obvious connection with upstate New York and she brings it to life so, so well. Um, so this once again is The Ghost Orchid and it's by Carol Goodman. I'm just surprised you're reading anything with ghost in the title. Um, it's weird because it's weird because I haven't actually seen any ghosts. Like hmm. I hear hmm. like- So it's a of, metaphorical ghost. Maybe, like you hear talk of ghosts because the, like one of the characters is a medium um, but, like, you aren't clear whether ghosts are responsible for some of these things that happened or, like, if human beings are terrible, um, which we, we know they are. But that's kind of a thing that Goodman does really well, like, that line between, like, is this a ghost or is this something, like, hum like human that people are attributing supernatural um, like forces to. So 
I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a niche that she feel, that she fills really well. Got it. Wait. You know, I love her pseudonym, Juliet Dark. So yes, I, she's just, whatever, whatever she's writing, she really can tell a good story. Yes, she can. I, I and her, feel like I'm taking, oh, sorry. What? I said, I just feel like I'm taking such good recommendations with me today. Oh Yeah. Well, the last book I'm going to talk about is by an author that you probably are sick of hearing us talk about. But no. it, says, it says something that every single person on this podcast talks about this author. What does it say? It says that you need to get in your car, go to a bookstore, or get on no, your tablet. screw that. You can just, like, one-click. Order online. And here I was trying to promote bookstores. <laughs> sorry sorry but yes the ebooks definitely uh have helped people like us who struggled to get access to lots of books even even less than 10 years ago audiobooks right they're they're just our catnip at least my catnip Mm -hmm. but this book is by karen rose and it's actually a trilogy and this is the first thing i read by Karen Rose. It was recommended to me by Shannon many years ago. Well, whenever it was that it came Who got it recommended to me by Mika. Of course, (laughs) because Mika (laughs) is the queen of disturbing books. I don't know how she's not here, because I love how she talks about books when they disturb her. She's just I know. (laughs) I I, I don't know, but so this is called Die For Me. The trilogy is, is called the Vartanian trilogy by Karen Rose and really I mean just by the title the first title is die for me kill for me scream for me well it's scream for me kill for me kill for me that's correct and what's what's cool about this series is I guess you could read them alone but I wouldn't suggest it I would suggest reading them in order and it's kind of the the story arc is a big story arc and what really captivated me about this series is that the prologue of Die For Me is a 21-year-old man, college student. He is tied to a concrete slab in the dark. And since I was a 20-year-old college student when I read it, uh, that really freaked me out. You weren't tied to a slab in the dark though, right? No. No, okay, not, not unless that not unless it was by choice, and that is definitely not my kind of game. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and that's but, a whole different episode. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. S and M books we love, right. but but I I just I don't know what I was doing in college. I think I read a lot of books that horrified me. I guess maybe it was I was inspired by the cold and the winter and the snow. I don't know. But speaking of winter and snow, so the epilogue is that a college student is nailed to a concrete slab or tied to one, actually not nailed. That's more gruesome than what it actually was. The prologue, actually, right? Yes, the prologue. So basically, you just start the book and there's this guy, <laughs> he's tied to a concrete slab, but he doesn't know where he is. And there's no buildup. There's no, you don't know any characters. And of course, you already love the, the guy, you know, because you hear his thoughts and you don't want anything to happen to him. And then it goes into chapter one, and you don't know what happens to him. It goes to a different scene. So you're like, wait, wait. And this book is about a 
lady named Sophie, and she's a archaeologist. And she is hired by a police detective named Vito Ciccatelli to help him with bodies that they discovered underground. And since it's in a field and since it's winter, they're all frozen. So they need an archaeologist to determine what they can find about these bodies. But get this, there's a twist. Not only have they found precisely built graves with people in them, they found empty graves that look like they're just waiting to be filled. And they have no idea where to start. They have no idea where to start, what is going on, but who could have planted these or made these graves with such precision and calculation and who is going to fill them? So yeah, that's the beginning of the Vartanian Trilogy by Karen Rose, Die For Me, Scream For Me, Kill For Me. It's just, it makes me think of, of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets when the snake is in the walls and it's going, kill. Like, it just really, really got me. Okay, so now we've talked about these books and then I have to go outside and it's like 10 o'clock at night. And it's yes, dark. I have to walk my dog, I know. And it's cold. And I don't know that that's a good idea. But <laughs> my neighbor just said to me, do you want me to walk you home? <laughs> the 20 feet home. <laughs> and I have to she'll, walk across the hall to pick up the child. save me for, <laughs> from whatever's out there. Um, no, I'm fine. I'm just joking. But so... Since I, I have to go home, um, we have to, to bring this episode to a close. But thank you to Stacy and Natalia for helping with this episode and giving such fantastic recommendations. I kind of thought I was going to be done with like the creepy books after this uh, reading for this episode, but I think we'll stay there for a while. Yeah, me too. <laughs> So thanks, of course, goes out always to Christine for her fantastic editing. And we thank each and every one of you who joins us for our discussions of all sorts of bookish greatness. If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.